This is The Guardian. Today, for two years, Chinese leaders have done whatever it takes to beat COVID. But the extraordinary spread of Omicron is posing a new question. Can China learn to live with it? Late last year, as most of us were cancelling Christmas parties and trying to find ways to get a COVID test, in most of China, people were living normal lives, including a young woman in the capital. Well, like a lot of young people around the world, this banker, 26-year-old woman from Beijing, finished last day of her work um, on the 31st of December 2021. And she was looking forward to the new year as everybody else was. And um, what we know now is that in the first few days of the new year, she visited a deal shop and uh, shopped at Walmart and also had lunch at Quanjude, which was Beijing's best-known Peking roast duck restaurant. And she also went to a stand-up comedy show. And on the weekend, she drove with friends to a ski resort on the outskirts of the capital, Beijing. Her movements were nothing special, but soon they'd be known across Beijing because of what happened next. And then at some point, she felt there was something wrong with her. So on the 13th of January, she began to feel a bit of a sore throat. That's when things started to be a bit suspicious for her. And on the 14th of January, the next day, she had a high fever. And then she went to voluntarily be tested. Um, Less than 24 hours later, China's first locally transmitted Omicron case was found in Beijing. And she was notified via telephone that she's diagnosed with uh, COVID. The good news, however, is that there are no additional um, cases here in Beijing and also in Shanghai, both uh, you know, uh, political and economic um, capitals here. And yeah, it's... The positive case triggered a series of events that two years into the pandemic would be unthinkable in most of the world. Well, once the authorities confirmed she had COVID... Uh, what we know so far is that there are testing people uh, that were close contacts of this person, also that visited locations uh, that uh, that person also visited as well. Automatically, all the places she had been to um, had gone through a deep clean and the apartment building she lived in um, was sealed off and her office uh, building was sealed off as well. Um, China adopts this uh, zero COVID policy, which means that um, these places she had been to would have to be, you know, under heavy scrutiny. And those people she had interacted with or perhaps, you know, worked uh, past her or had been to the same place as she had been um, at around the same time would have to be quarantined. So in the end, the authorities had to quarantine 13,000 people uh, in the city and cleaned all the places she had visited. Closed borders, mass testing, entire neighbourhoods and cities quarantined in response to a single case. That's what it takes to maintain China's strict COVID zero policies. It's extreme, but here's the other side of it. Officially, China's lost fewer than 5,000 people to COVID since the start of the pandemic. That's less than the number of Americans killed by the virus in the past week. For Chinese leaders, COVID zero isn't just a policy. 
It's a major achievement, an advertisement for their authoritarian system of government. But as Omicron makes it clear that the virus is here to stay, COVID-0 is presenting Chinese officials with a new dilemma, how to end it. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, a Chinese leaders caught in a COVID-0 trap. Vincent Ni, as The Guardian's China affairs correspondent, you've been covering China's response to the pandemic since the very beginning. Two years in, what's it like for people living in a COVID-0 country at the moment? Well, it has so far been harsh, disruptive. Early this year, 1.2 million in central China were suddenly asked to be quarantined because, guess what, three cases were identified in the city. But on the other hand, though, this type of policy has been rather effective in controlling the spread of the disease. Chinese officials these days often point to the lower number of deaths in the country. It is in their lower uh, thousands. And you can, of course, question the accuracy of it. But compared to the figures in the U.S., which is more than 800,000, it's still quite a big gap. And that is also what the party finds useful in making the point that China is more competent in a time of crisis. But then there have been tragedies too. As we reported earlier, in a graphic video that went viral in China, a pregnant woman was turned away from a hospital in A few weeks ago, for example, a pregnant woman suffered a miscarriage because she didn't have the correct QR code to access a local hospital. One Weibo user accuses the government of only taking actions after tragedies happened. Another says, this just goes to show COVID-19 might not kill you, but bureaucrats can. So lots of these unnecessary suffering because of this stringent zero-COVID policy. Now, economically, Michael, it has also been disruptive. Late last year, one of the world's largest memory chip makers, Samsung Electronics, complained openly about the extreme measures in the Chinese city of Xi'an and warned that these measures could affect their output. And the thing is that this kind of disruption could be rather random because you can never predict when and where cases are going to pop up. And when we talk about lockdown in the UK or Europe, you can still go for runs, you can go to the supermarket. In China, it seems very different. Over the past week, we've been talking to Zhong Yue, a woman living in the city of Xi'an, where everyone, all 13 million residents, have just come out of a more than one-month lockdown in response to a COVID cluster there. The first few days were very depressing because the lockdown happened so suddenly and I've never thought that Xi'an would experience a lockdown due to COVID. Since the lockdown started, my community has been restricting the travel of residents. For the first few days, one person from one household was able to go to supermarket every two days to buy supplies. Then because there was a increase in COVID infection numbers, so we were no longer allowed to get out. Then we started to go downstairs every day to do a PCR test, which gradually became once every two days and now once every five days. Uh, in total, we have been tested more than 10 times during the lockdown. I've also seen videos of the Chinese authorities literally welding people into their apartments to stop them from leaving. That's obviously an extreme case, but for the average person in China, is Zhong Yue's experience pretty typical? 
they could be really harsh. But I guess it also depends on which part of the country you live in.、Uh, in Shanghai, for example, where the healthcare facility was much robust than、uh, elsewhere, say in Xi'an, you know, the measures could be more flexible, and、um, so people、uh, suffer less. If people have been sealed into their apartment, like the door has literally been locked, what do they do for food and water and medicine? That's a good question.、Um, I, I guess it depends on the period of quarantine.、Um, in some cases, you know, you can call for delivery, food delivery, and in other cases, the government will send you food,、uh, like what we have seen in Xi'an a few weeks ago. The government once gave us a big bag of vegetables for free for each household. So there were no worries about food and drinks, but only if you are a good cook, because I usually just go to restaurant or order. But I learned how to cook. It's incredible that China has been able to maintain such a firm policy against COVID for more than two years now. How do the people that you speak to there feel about this policy? Well, I guess many do complain about it, and for the last two years. People have been living in uncertainties, to say the least. Right? You never know when you are going to be put under lockdown at a very short notice. And there have also been these bizarre stories coming out of the strict policy. Last month, for example, a woman went to have dinner at her blind date's house, and as they were finishing the dinner, the entire area was put into a swift lockdown, and therefore she was stuck with her date for a few days. And、um, however, if you speak to those who were not affected, they will tell you that they are actually quite happy about it. At least the zero COVID policy has helped them lead a largely normal life, although uncertainties still remain. Vincent, do we know what happened to the two people on on that blind date from hell? Well, what we know is that that woman、um, started to、uh, send video blogs. And started to complain about how she was, you know, stuck with this man she only had a dinner with,、um, <laughs> but also complimented his、uh, cooking skills. So、um, I hope they have a, a you know good happy ending.、Um, but、um, you know these are the things that speaks to the unpredictability of life, especially in the time of、uh, COVID health emergency in China. Well, I'm glad she was able to turn it into to online content. Anyway, <laughs> why has China maintained this kind of policy, even as the rest of the world is beginning to relax their own policies against COVID? Well, I mean, Michael. First of all, I think this zero COVID policy is is not unique to China. At the very beginning of this pandemic, if you remember, many countries adopted this COVID policy. New Zealand, Australia, Singapore, for example, right? And many also used their success as an example of the competency of their bureaucracy. But then, as The virus evolves, and also, you know, people being inoculated,、uh, vaccines being rolled out. Then China has, you know, met with this huge dilemma, which is, you know, whether they are going to change this zero COVID policy. They do realize the return of this policy is diminishing. Vincent, one of the really distressing things we learned last year was that the vaccines are, are brilliant. They stop people getting sick, stop people from dying. But as strains like Delta emerged, it also became clear that vaccines can't completely stop COVID from spreading. In other words, we're going to have to live with this virus for the foreseeable future. Now that seems to complicate China's policy. How was that news received there? 
It does resonate among some medical professionals. One of them is Dr. Zhang Wenhong from Shanghai. According to the current status, I think we cannot eradicate the disease in the coming two years or three years or four years. He suggested last year that we should perhaps consider learning to live with this virus because it is not going away anyway. But then he was attacked by extreme nationalists online who accused him of being a pro-West kind of you know puppet, and the former health minister also gave his support to zero COVID policy. However, some Chinese public health experts I spoke to also told me that some think tankers in China have already been monitoring the current Omicron situation very closely because they do realize the nature of this virus has changed. That reaction to, to Dr. Zhang's suggestion that China should learn to live with COVID seems pretty surprising. I know in the US, for some people, the idea of, of not restricting people, not putting down vaccine mandates has become almost like an article of faith. Like it, it's not, it's un-American to, to do this. I wonder in China, do you see the opposite? Has it become a part of China's national character to be COVID free, to, to, to not be learning to live with COVID? Well, yes. I mean, COVID-free has become this kind of ideology, you know, so to speak, right? You know, this kind of a mantra that makes a point that Beijing's system is much more competent, is much, you know, stronger in a time of health crisis. And we're also talking about this extreme great power competition at a time where, you know, you. You know, a lot of people in China, especially those nationalists in China, feel that the country is under attack. So you do have this sort of a standoff between. You know, China versus the West, and then nationalists in the country feel you know they will easily be undermined if they allow the Western style of, say, vaccine, Western style of you know dealing with COVID、uh, coming to China. And the other thing, Michael, is that I think there's also a bit of sort of a culture difference, which is if you look around in many East Asian societies, they would feel horrified when they see if, say, you know, half a million people get infected.、Uh, You know, in this short span of three months or something, or you know, tens of thousands of people died in a short span of、uh, weeks,、um, as we have seen in some Western societies, they will feel horrified about this, and then they will be very concerned about you know not to repeat this kind of you know in their view mistakes. So, Vincent, in the West, vaccines were seen as the way out of all this—that they'd reduce the severity of COVID enough that people could, you know, learn to live with it. Is that how vaccines are seen in China? Well,、uh, infectious diseases experts like Dr. Zhang, who I just mentioned earlier,、um, recently urged people to be vaccinated again, and he said we should build an immunity wall. But the issue in China is always, you know, at a time when Your own homemade vaccines are not as effective. How to solve this problem? You know, are you going to import Western vaccines? It will be politically difficult and diplomatically difficult as well. Or just kick the can down the road. Let's pick that up again after the Party Congress this year, for example. You know, provided this current situation is under control. You know, that mentality might have seemed to be a little bit outdated because. You know, last month we have discovered Omicron case, so it will be very difficult、uh, for Beijing、um, to, 
you know, continue this zero COVID policy if it doesn't um, beef up its vaccine rollout. And um, in the end, if it doesn't use, you know, Western uh, technology, say mRNA vaccine to inoculate its population. It seems like China's ability to just keep their borders closed and kick the can down the road in dealing with all this is limited. I mean, in February, China is hosting the Winter Olympics. How do they plan to handle that? Um, good question. Uh, what they say is they were to create an invisible bubble around all venues. China is taking no chances. A major driver of the so-called dynamic zero-case policy is the upcoming Beijing Winter Olympics. The countdown is on. The venues are ready, but organizers and athletes are on edge. And it's going to be a test of the elaborate measures that... If so, for example, if you go to Olympic Park in Beijing these days, you will see fences already gone up. With COVID concerns running high here, Olympics venues in all areas around them have been completely sealed off. And only those qualified people are allowed to enter these venues. For journalists covering this event, you know, entering this, you know, bubble hotels, for example, you have to have two negative tests in the last 96 hours uh, with a clean health certificate as well as a vaccine record. So this is how they are dealing with how they are reacting to this new Omicron. And this tells you that the authorities are really, really on extreme high alert. It would also mean that residents in Beijing will feel even more inconvenient as audiences around the world enjoy the Winter Olympics. Will any of those audiences be in the stadium? I mean, can foreigners visit China to go and watch some of the Olympics? Well, foreign spectators are banned from entering China um, because China effectively has closed its border. And until recently, until Omicron struck Beijing, um, you know, these tickets were on sale uh, to ordinary citizens. But then the authorities were concerned about Omicron spread, potential spread within these venues. So they decided they would only distribute these tickets to designated people. So ordinary citizens essentially are cut off from these venues. They can only watch them on TV. It seems like China had plenty of reasons to feel good about its COVID zero strategy. But with Omicron, it's facing its biggest challenge yet. And while other countries could just pivot and change to a less harsh policy, it sounds like China can't do that as easily. Because as you said, COVID zero isn't just a health policy. It's almost become a pillar of the government's legitimacy. In that way, has COVID zero and China's determination to completely stamp out any infection clusters become a kind of trap? Well, at the moment, the government is still trying to contain it. They now call it a dynamic zero COVID control policy. But can they really succeed? We don't really know because it also depends on how this virus itself evolves. There seems to be a tug of war going on here as well, Michael. There's a natural force of the virus versus the rhetoric that applauds the control mentality. Now, in public, certainly you see the latter is winning the public discourse. The other day, the former chief editor of the Global Times, Hu Xijing, said Omicron fears the Communist Party of China. And you get the message. But at the same time, actually, in parallel to this sort of public message, you also see public health officials, think tankers and medical professionals who are, you know, very busily crunching numbers and see whether this Omicron variant is really going to pose a huge threat to China's uh, healthcare system. But certainly, yes, on the surface, they seem to have fallen into a trap that they dug for themselves. 
Coming up, how Chinese leaders plan to move past COVID and COVID zero. Vincent, even as recently as Monday, a panel of experts advising the Chinese government said COVID zero was still the, quote, best choice available for the country. But one of the things I'm struggling to see here is what is China's exit plan? Like, how do Chinese leaders see that they're going to get out of this pandemic and get back to some degree of normal life? Hmm. Um, good question. Well, I think um, use a famous line from the late leader Deng Xiaoping. It's crossing the river by touching the stones. Um, there's still much uncertainty here. Um, for example, you know how would this virus further evolve from Omicron to something else? I, I don't think anyone could give a definitive answer at this stage. I think the Chinese leaders are still waiting and seeing what is going to happen with the virus itself. At the same time, it is trying to develop its own mRNA vaccine. Whether this is going to succeed, we don't know yet. And indeed, how long it is going to take, we don't know either. Then the other variable is that if China's relationship with the West continues to deteriorate, would it contribute to Beijing's calculation internally as well? We don't know. I mean, so far with borders shut and the foreigners restricted into the country, people are asking whether this would become some sort of norm in the long term. If yes, how would that affect Chinese leaders' decision when they talk about when and how to open the borders? We'll see how these situations evolve. If we're being optimistic, it appears that by the summer, the UK and much of the world will be moving not towards zero COVID, but to zero COVID restrictions, and that we might be feeling like we're on the other end of this pandemic, or at least behaving as if we are. At that point, where is China going to be? Like, by the summer, are they still going to be yo-yoing in and out of these incredibly harsh lockdowns, while the rest of us, hopefully, just get on with it? Well, I think China is still going to keep the current policy at least until late in the year because uh, later this year there will be a hugely significant political event, which is the 20th Communist Party Congress. And perhaps then, you know, if, if the situation, you know, goes well, perhaps they will start to slowly open up the border around 2023 or 2024. But again, you know, we are in the early days of 2022. So, you know, this is quite... A long way away still. I guess in the end, China might not be too bad compared to much of the underdeveloped world, though. And and also, just to finish this thought, Michael, to use a cliche, this pandemic not just revealed the truth about a country, but also the wisdom of its leaders. What's that truth that it's revealed? Well, Chinese leaders still prioritize control and stability, um, even at a time of a health crisis, which is essentially purely about science. Um, and I think, you know, what has revealed about Chinese leaders is also that they're actually, you know, quite flexible because, you know, in when the epidemic first started two years ago in Wuhan, the Chinese leaders were kind of, you know, freaking out. They didn't know what to do. But then they quickly turned misfortune into something that would, you know, favor um, their own style of governance. Um, I guess, you know, 
throughout this pandemic, there's quite a lot of debate in China about the merit of China's own system and the merit of the Western style of pandemic control. But at the moment, the Chinese leaders seem to have taken advantage of the public trust in them to make a point that their system is much more superior to the Western system. But I guess the point is that you know, in the long term, we'll still have to see how this system is going to turn out to be. And I think nothing is set in stone yet. Vincent, thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. That was Vincent Ni, The Guardian's China affairs correspondent. You can read all his coverage of China and its experience with COVID-19 at theguardian.com. And for a change of pace, next week, the Turner Prize-winning contemporary artist Lubaina Himid will be in conversation with art critic Hetty Judah in a Guardian Live event being streamed globally. It's on Thursday, the 3rd of February from 8 to 9pm GMT. Himid will be discussing her life's work and contributions to the British black arts movement, the inspirations behind some of her pieces and her exhibition at the Tate Modern. Book your ticket at theguardian.com forward slash Tate event, one word. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Alex Atak. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Mythley Rao. We're back Monday. This is The Guardian.